0: This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. If you're just tuning in, we've been talking about criminal justice reform and police accountability in Chicago. Now we want to take a step back and examine the city's growing gun violence problem, particularly when it comes to young offenders. Youth gun crime rates have gone up in the past few months, leaving some officials looking for more punitive methods. Nearly 900 youth, meaning people 18 and under, are facing either probation or supervision, or awaiting trial in Cook County. So what is driving the rise in violence? And what can be done to help young people and reduce crime? Miguel Camre is the Senior Program Officer of Community Violence Interventions with Ready Chicago. Hi, Miguel.
1: Hey, how are you? Doing well. Yeah. Thanks for being with us. access for having us.
0: Also here is Stephanie Tabashnik. She's a senior fellow in law and applied neuroscience at Harvard University. And she's been looking at how and why criminal policy should be very different for kids than it is for adults. Welcome, Stephanie.
2: Thank you. Happy to be here.
0: Miguel, start us off here. Talk us through this increase in youth gun violence rates in Chicago. Specifically, what's happening with folks under 25 years old?
1: Gracias. Um, gracias for having us. Again, you know, um, working with Heartland Alliance in the last five years, um, we have sort of launched some innovation systems of understanding who is most impacted by gun violence and what are the sort of characteristics and barriers that are that are impacting uh, their trauma and experience. So I think one thing that we're seeing um, through sort of the COVID duress and, and the impact of, of Chicago gun violence trauma, but not only Chicago across the country, I think we underestimated the, the severity of trauma and generational trauma from gun violence from from systemic oppressive systems um, in communities throughout our city that now uh, our current generation is exhibiting through sort of uh, behavior and and behavior engagement in, in negative um, sort of outputs um, that are increasing their involvement in in gun violence or being impacted by gun violence. Mm. When you look
0: at the cases here in Chicago, are you noticing a trend in the demographics, like age or gender or socioeconomic status?
1: It depends. I mean, if we look at the last 20 years in Chicago, I think it's ebb and flowed, right? I think even if we go back as far as uh, the prohibition era, Chicago has always been um, an area or a city of impacted uh, or high impact of gun violence, depending on how you look and who you ask. But I think in in more recent, when you think about what your stats that you open your segment with, um, there has also been an increase in the policies that impact young people in terms of criminalization. And when I think about behavior, um, you know, some of our folks. Focus in Heartland and some of our recent work through Ready Chicago, um, we are now seeing the effective impact and positive impact around cognitive behavioral interventions and cognitive behavioral therapy. So I think it, it's not necessarily a pattern that I'm more uh, witnessing. I think what we're seeing is more cause and effect mm-hmm. of, of, of an era that was born out of 90s uh, generations of folks that were involved in, or impacted by violence and or drug trade, right, in Chicago. And I think that's these are just sort of new generations to, to those generations, um, you know, and, and the limited economic access that we have in our neighborhoods. It's, it's a cause and effect to Meslow's hierarchy needs of children mm-hmm. um, to survive and thrive in, in a low economy um, that we're asking them to thrive in.
0: Expand on that cause and effect argument you're making, Miguel. What, what challenges do young offenders face before they become a shooter or a carjacker? Yeah, well,
1: I appreciate that. Uh, before before I refer to anyone as an offender, I'd, I'd like just to, to uh, just uh, refer to them as young people, just for the sake of conversation. Okay. But When you think about human needs and Maslow's needs of hierarchy around safety, food and shelter, those are basic human needs for any population or any human species that just just to, to provide a sense of safety that then lead you to sort of further sort of human development. And if any of those are threatened at its very core level, then we will result to our human and animal instinct of survival and evolution of survival. And I think in in some spaces, when you think about criminal behavior, that is normal behavior without the criminal label, right? Mm-hmm. When you think about our, our inability to sort of either starve or, or survive, most folks would choose survive over starve, right? And we all know wrong from right. There's that cognitive thought of right and wrong that we like to accuse um, disconnected communities or children, especially children that are still underdeveloped. Um, we all know jaywalking is illegal when we talk about criminal behavior, but the majority of humans jaywalk. The majority of humans break the law just by crossing the street, not at the crosswalk. And I think that when you think about policies that impact young people and then the social disparities in those policies that criminalize communities of color, mm-hmm. the way the law is applied is way different, right? So if you, if you were in a fluent community, let's say Naperville, in Illinois, and we said 800 people were murdered in Naperville, Illinois, society will react differently, the way that it does to opioid uh, impact and the opioid pandemic, I think when we think about youth and and, and criminal behavior and who the law is applied to uh, disproportionately, we then label it as criminal. But I think at, at its core, survival um, is part of our natural human instinct yeah. that disenfranchised communities face every day.
0: Stephanie, let's bring you in here. Talk about the societal factors that play into kids and young adults. Committing crimes in general?
2: Yeah, I think that's a really good question. And I want to give a caveat that even though the spikes in youth violence in certain cities are deeply concerning, they're nothing like the spikes that we saw in the 1990s. Um, And there's a lot of reasons why adolescents and youth and children commit crimes. And we know from neuroscience research and behavioral research that children are not mini-adults, that they are um, quite different from adults. So they are neurobiologically wired to engage in risk-taking, they're uh, immature, they're impulsive, they're present-focused, and that's uh, just, you know, a child's brain on adolescence. Um, And then when you put in trauma and other sort of life and environmental difficulties, you're also seeing... Um, some of these negative effects. So, you know, I would just say that the vast majority of kids, even kids who commit serious serious crimes, Mm -hmm. go on to become law-abiding adults. Um, They grow out of it. So a lot of this is about making sure that we're helping kids kids who would desist from crime, desist and not placing them at higher risk, um, because there's many things that we can do to place children who would not commit, go on to commit crimes um, at higher risk of continuing to persist into adulthood.
0: And and as we talk, Stephanie, about the rates of youth gun violence going up here in Chicago, have you seen that follow a national trend as well, or at least following trends in other major cities like Chicago?
2: It's a good question. So some, some cities are seeing and states are seeing higher rates of youth violence, but we're also seeing cities that are not. So I would just want to give um, you know an example of Boston. So Boston is heavily invested in a number of programs for youth, and we have not seen the rates of youth violence. So there are um, youth employment opportunities, uh, job training, mentorship, summer learning programs. Um, there's something called the Safe and Successful Youth Initiative, uh, where there's outreach and services for young adults. So targeting uh, people who are 18 to 24 who have been identified as at risk of violence. Uh, so there's, you know, this, this isn't a national, I wouldn't say this is a national trend. There are some, some cities and states that are seeing increases in youth violence, but there's also plenty of cities that, that are not.
0: Miguel, what are some prevention measures that your team at Ready Chicago focuses on?
1: Um, thanks for the question I, I think i agree in terms of a phenomenon that's not a national phenomenon when i look at the 2022 um, sort of index um the victimization and crime index for chicago it's 18 percent zero uh, in terms of 2022 zero 19 36 percent 20 to 29 and 30 to 30 um, uh, 39 and the reason i say that is because ready has focused in the population um, in terms of you know emerging adolescents or throwaway populations right we what we've learned in, in the last five years or four and a half years of working with this population is what we've learned is the amount of victimization that they have sort of uh, uh, have yet to address in their in their life experience so let me give an example Um, we learned that you know before the age of 18 over 80 percent of our participants and we have sort of enrolled over a thousand participants at this point have experienced violent uh, crimes done to them prior to the age of 18. That says a lot about this population, Mm -hmm. Um, and it says a lot about what we have yet to learn uh, about criminal behavior um, and and the impact gun trauma has on this specific population.
0: Those methods that you're you're talking about, Miguel, how often are they changed or, or reworked to be most effective?
1: These well, days. we try we try and institute about 200 hours plus of CBI intervention, and we try to do it in, in 90 minute increments. Um, what, what what we found in terms of the the research is that after 200 hours, we start to talk about that that impulse that we're all talking about today, and disrupting that, assuming um, sort of average human um, brain development again to the sort of neuroscience um, that we're talking about today. So that that is the baseline. But again, you're talking to an individual former perpetrator of violence, and and I've had individualized therapy for over 25 years and yeah. I still work on anger management right mm-hmm. so we're asking young people children to unpack you know generations of trauma um, through an after-school program for a couple of hours. So so to the, to the point of this conversation, it's really going to take a village, and all our CPS systems, our youth systems, our YMCA systems, Frozen and Girls Club systems, and programs like Ready Chicago to really meet the needs um, that we're all experiencing um, to have violence reduction this summer.
0: And I just want to be clear for listeners, when you say CBI, you're talking about cognitive behavioral interventions.
1: This is correct. This is the the intentionality of disrupting the impulse and, and, and the actual cause and effect of that impulse. Dying over gym shoes shouldn't be a thing, right? We, we should not lose a life over gym shoes. We should not lose a life over a laptop. We should not incarcerate uh, children with mandatory minimums who are still developing as humans. Um, these are things that we have to take on as a society, yeah. and they're not problems of the neighborhood and we have to shift from blaming neighborhoods for, their, for, for the the circumstances that they're trying to thrive in and we have to consume responsibility. Again, I'm just going to bring back the opioid um, impact that we've had in this nation and it's taken a collective approach to address, um, you know, youth addiction and and youth depression in our country. And we have to see youth violence and youth youth uh, gun violence as a public health crisis in our nation. And we have to address it as such with such resources.
0: This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. We're talking about solutions to help address Chicago's recent rise in youth violence. Our guests are Miguel Cambray with the anti-violence program Ready Chicago. Also here is Stephanie Tabashnik, a Harvard senior fellow In law and applied neuroscience. Stephanie, I want to shift a little bit to what happens when a teenager or a young adult does commit a crime. Do harsher penalties reduce juvenile crime?
2: I think that's a really great question, an important question. So, in the past, um, we've and currently we've experimented with harsh penalties for youth, and what we found is that does not work. Um, and one of the reasons why is children are, you know, highly teachable, and their brains are wired for learning. And so if at the same time when children are still developing and their brains are wired for learning, um, we're putting them in these harsh environments that don't mirror the real world, it can really have a negative effect on kids. So, for example, juvenile detention facilities have a much higher rate of sexual assault, sexual violence, physical violence. The education that kids receive in juvenile detention facilities is is poor. When um, emerging adults age 18 and 19 go into adult prisons, they're also... At heightened risk of uh, various forms of trauma, and you know these these kids get out, so it's not it's not like they're being held in these difficult environments for the rest of their lives. Um, they're getting out, and they're coming back to a society where they're now even more traumatized. They don't have the skills. They may not have as much connection to their community. Uh, so we know that this 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 approach doesn't work. And what we've seen is that severe penalties for youth have a massive uh, failure rate. Um, and that ma- that youth who are treated under punitive conditions recidivate. Um, so, you know, even if you're looking at today, the states that have the the most severe penalties for youth crime, mm-hmm. they also have the highest crime rates. So, you know, I would say that harsh penalties just statistically do not dampen juvenile crime.
0: And your, your studies also um, talk about how criminal policy uh, should be more informed by science, right? Especially A- for kids absolutely. and teens?
2: Yes, absolutely. Because, you know, I, as I said, with, with children, there's a tremendous opportunity for change. And as we all, you know, I think everyone who's listening right now um, probably did some things in their adolescence that they wouldn't do as an adult. And that's because when you're an adult, you're, your brain is different and your brain is more developed. And so, you know, most of these kids will desist from crime. And, and this is true even of serious crimes. The vast majority of youth who commit serious crimes do not go on to persist in adulthood.
0: Miguel, briefly remind us the organizations that Ready partners with to help prevent local youth violence.
1: Yeah, we engage in, in four communities throughout the Chicagoland area, and we work with organizations in both the outreach spectrum as well as the workforce development spectrum. Uh, we probably partner with organizations like uh, Institute for Nonviolence, mm-hmm. UCan in North Lawndale, North Lawndale Employment Network, uh, Centers for New Horizons in Inglewood, and Heartland Alliance Human Cares, and Heartland Alliance Outreach. Um, so, nice. and we, we partner with the University of Chicago in terms of the research and evaluation systems, um, and it, it, it's a community approach. Um, for our program development, evaluation, and integration.
0: Just about 30 seconds left, Miguel. I just want your final thoughts on on what city and state officials can do to help young people and deter crime.
1: Uh, The first thing is remember they were young at one time. Um, the second thing is sort of the, the social application of, of policy. Uh, Lallapalooza teenagers are seen as, as, as uh, risk takers and, and enjoying their adolescence. But if you wear war or dress or exhibited same behaviors in specific parts of, of the city, you're criminalized. And I think that we have to sort of address that and we have to collectively allow opportunity for success um, and we not sort of failed policies that continue to criminalize young people.
0: Miguel Cambray is the Senior Program Officer of Community Violence Interventions with Ready Chicago. And Stephanie Tabashnik is a Senior Fellow in Law and Applied Neuroscience at Harvard University. Miguel and Stephanie, thank you very much. Want more context on the top issues of the day? Find the podcast, WBEZ's Reset, wherever you listen.